begin. The Internet, a doorway to the world's most fascinating and terrifying communities. To explore it is to interrogate that which makes us human. Only some are brave enough to venture into these other worlds. Only some are brave enough to be called. The Internet Explorers. Thank you and welcome everybody to the newest episode of Anderson Brothers, The Internet Explorers. The Internet Explorers. That's us. Everything you heard, all true. So, Evan. Who um, are you? (laughs) As always, I'm your host, David Ryan Anderson. And I am your Midlands, Evan Anderson. David's the coast, (laughs) I'm the Midlands. I did say coast. You know why? It's because I was about to say co-host and I was like, no, you know what? We're both a host. We don't I'm, have to say co-host. And I'm your co-host, Evan <laughs> Axel Anderson. David, today is a very special episode. Oh, wow. Why is that? Because today we're talking about, like, breaking news. Oh, really? Yeah. No, that's true. We usually, uh, here on Anderson Brothers, the Internet Explorers, uh, we tend to talk about more overarching parts of internet history that are going on. But this time, this is an urgent breaking news story. I was going to put in. I, I like your singing, but <laughs> I already put it in. David literally, like, bashed down the door to my room and was like, Evan, get in here. We're going to record about this thing. I was like, I don't even know about it. I, I, like, barely heard about it. Actually, I think I brought it up to you. and then You, you brought like, it up to important. me. It was one of those things where I, I favorited a bunch of articles about it, and I was like, I'll read about this later. Good enough. So a bit of background information on me, David Ryan Anderson. My undergrad degree was in advertising, and I went to University of Illinois. But there's always been a lot of things in modern advertising that have always been a little bit creepy to me. It feels like a lot of the greatest developments in studying human psychology and behavior are done for the sake of selling people things. And with social media and the internet, it's become so much easier to study people and sell them a product, whether that's an actual product or a political candidate. Right. And this is basically the future of advertising. As technology develops and it becomes easier for us to cultivate a little bubble for ourselves, which can like, you know, really kick out people who are trying to sell us stuff. Advertisers turn to ways of infiltrating our bubbles in sneakier and sneakier ways and trying to like use our data and our bubbles against us. That's where that's where this story this week comes in because what was breaking is we suddenly got a look sort of behind the curtain at how Donald Trump's campaign was using our social media information off of things like Facebook and YouTube and Google and Twitter and Snapchat in order to help the campaign function and target people. For me personally, this story is the culmination of all my worst fears from when I was in undergrad. So I guess in the past week, two things have happened. Mm -hmm. So first thing is that Channel 4 in the UK, they did a sting operation essentially on this company, this data analytics company called Cambridge Analytica. And Cambridge Analytica is a company that works for political campaigns uh, throughout throughout the entire world. What they did was, is this the BBC? This this is not BBC. This is Channel 4 in the UK. So it's not the BBC. Okay. But they they went undercover pretending to solicit their services. Correct. And they had like hidden cameras and stuff like you can watch. Oh, yeah. There are, there are, I would, I would encourage everybody to go watch the, the expose. I mean- there's a lot of um, commentary that I think not everybody would come to their the same uh, opinion as the journalists. Okay. I think just listening to the raw recordings is very interesting and it's very informative about just what was going on there. Okay, so this company, so people go to them for help developing their political campaigns in the digital age. This Cambridge Analytical Company will do what is, I mean, really are are pretty commonplace tactics at this point, I think, which are they'll go to things like Google, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, all these social media accounts to try to, you know, mine them for users' data, our data, literally. 
Yeah. It's a, it's a process called psychographic mapping. And the idea is that not only are you taking this information and trying to find trends with it, but you're building a psychological profile of individuals and using that to understand what kind of advertising would appeal to them. To that, to that person specifically. To that person specifically. So they will craft a particular message that will go to Evan and people like Evan or David and people like David. Right. You're Essentially, they lumped it into five different categories of people, mm-hmm. five different personality types. You know, I would be in a personality type. Maybe David would be in the same personality type as me, or he might be different. And depending on those personality types, we would be given different tailor-made messages about the political campaign. I mean, they were working for the Trump uh, campaign. So specifically, it was to encourage people to vote a certain way or more often to discourage people from voting if they were likely to vote for uh, Hillary Clinton. Yeah. So there is something called micro-targeting that advertising companies and you know these political campaigns and things will do, which is they can target you as an individual, figure out by looking at things like your Facebook interests, activities you like, where you're checking in geographically, like your location or GPS, your photos, your religion, your politics, relationship status, all things like this, and build a profile that can be used to categorize you. And from there, they'll actually push ads that will cater to your individual tastes and where you are, probably what you believe based on that. Right. I mean, there's like, it's crazy how how little information is necessary to build a pretty comprehensive psychological profile on a person. A Facebook page. But even like um, things like Target or Amazon would do this also with their web pages, like a web store, because they have your purchasing history. They know what you consume. Correct. And what that can say about you. One of the most, okay, so like I was in advertising, one of the most fascinating details, I don't know why this stuck with me exactly, but companies are, can look at your your purchasing history, like your credit history or whatever it is, and look at things you've bought. The item that shows companies that you are not going to pay back you know, loans or like your credit card bill or whatever it is, is a chrome skull that is put on your stick shift for your car. <laughs> Buying that is the surest sign to companies that you are complete, like you have absolutely no money management skills <laughs> or anything, which is so funny to me. I so, mean, may, I, I feel like that might be a good way of figuring that out. Yeah. Well, I just mean, they, because they probably have data to back that. They have all the, not just, yeah. Like if you have saying, the like, data. That's dumb. Don't give him a loan. No, it's based on nothing except for trends. Like yeah. people who buy that item are the most likely to not pay back you know, loans or, or pay their credit cards off or whatever on time. You heard it here, folks. You want a loan? Don't buy that Chrome Skull. Don't buy Chrome Skulls for your stick shifts in your car. I don't remember what the, the thing that will guarantee you a loan is. <laughs> if you have this item, you're like super likely. It's the key, David. Yeah, that seems like a more useful information, buy. but that was the end of my little bit there. Okay, Are so what, so what was the second? <laughs> oh, yeah. So the second, the second story is, I believe it was in response to this Channel 4 expose, uh, a guy by the name of Christopher Wiley. He was a former subcontractor with the company Cambridge Analytica back in 2014. And he is sort of discussing the mechanisms by which Cambridge Analytica was able to mine all of this information from Facebook and sort of how their operation was working. There really, there are some questionable things that they were doing, but there was nothing that was like literally illegal. But... Uh, there's a lot of stuff that Cambridge Analytica does that is more analog. It's more meat space. And that's really where a lot of the controversy and sort of the scandal is coming from because they were doing things that were absolutely illicit on the meat space front. Wait, what were they doing that was illegal? So Cambridge Analytica is a contractor for political campaigns. They'll do digital advertising for a lot of campaigns, but they'll also do a lot of dirt digging. And dirt digging is something that a lot of campaigns do um, on ca- traditionally. On, on enemy candidates? On, a, on opposite, yeah, opposition research is okay, what it's called. Yeah. Um, and the idea is that you'll go around looking for documents about them. You'll try and dig up any bad behavior they had in the past, things like that. Um, that's traditionally what happens, and you, that's all legal stuff. You're just looking for information behind them. Yeah. But what Cambridge Analytica would do for their opposition research was invent things. So oh. they would uh, they would do like honeypot schemes where they'd be they'd send a bunch of prostitutes to a uh, candidate's home and then take photographs of them yeah, and like yeah. produce inf- like inflammatory information. Like about LA them. Confidential. 
Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, or th- or they would like they were caught doing bribe like engaging in bribery and things mm-hmm. like that, offering bribes. Um, what so- about when it comes to things like fake news? Like, were they like were, did they propagate fake news stories about people, or was it only? I mean, I guess to you know to a certain extent, like that is what you're talking about, but. Sure. I mean, yeah, to the extent that the honeypot schemes is technically fake news in the sense that you're producing a scandal on yeah. someone. I suppose that's fake news. But in terms of on the digital front, the sort of advertising that they were producing wasn't necessarily false information, but it was targeted information that would sway voters in a particular direction. So that that's not necessarily fake news the one right, the one no. example that we were looking at it was like a sort of a south park style video of hillary clinton talking in back in the 90s yeah about with, black people being super predators yeah and that was targeted to specific demographics that were likely it, to vote for hillary clinton and they wanted to uh, my, depress that vote yeah my understanding is that what they would do is they would find they, you know, they would they would try to get profiles like Facebook profiles, and they would buy ad space, and they would buy something that was called they are called dark posts. Okay. And a dark post is something that you can you post it, you push it on Facebook. This this is distinct to Facebook, I think, and only allow users with certain parameters to view it. In this case, they were targeting black voters who they thought would be likely to vote for Hillary Clinton, and they'd push it out there. So only if you fit within a certain range would you even see this thing. And the idea is, you know, it was a satirical cartoon about Hillary Clinton, something she had said that would be like, look, Hillary Clinton doesn't care about you specifically in order to try to get them to not vote for her and and ideally not vote at all. What they call depressing the vote to say, like, your vote isn't going to count for anything good. Don't even bother is essentially the, the strategy here. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, I mean, we were trying to find this video. Yeah. We, uh, we can't find it. To my knowledge, from what I've read, just in articles reporting about it, Facebook has access to it but will not release it. And, of course, the Trump campaign won't release it. Right. Nobody else, like, saved it or anything like that. So this video is, like, showed up, like, was given to a few people, like, the week of the election to try to, you know, convince people not to vote. So dark posting is what it's called. It's really – I had never heard of it before this story. Yeah. And, again, there's nothing illegal about doing this. Right. That You know, a lot of companies do things like this. Or here's another example is on YouTube, the day of the election – Depending on where you live, the YouTube banner changed. If you lived in an area geographically that was you were likely to vote for Trump, it was this triumphant image of Trump. It would be like, you know, come out, vote, uh, you know, victory, all this stuff. If you were not likely to vote for Trump, the banner was somebody who you probably would be more sympathetic to, like Ivanka Trump or somebody who did support Trump, like, you know, like Marco Rubio eventually so depending on who you were, you would get a banner with that person and it would be like this person endorses Trump or whatever, like vote for Trump. Interesting. They purchased that ad space on election right. day. Like it's a normal ad. But what's really weird is just how tailored how tailored it is to you as, as an individual, like minority report style. These different websites know who you are by your login information and stuff like that and, and information that you give them. And it shouldn't be surprising that this company or firm, excuse me, is doing stuff on the digital front that's kind of creepy, that operates with very little ethical discretion. So here's an example of one of the clients that they worked for. There's a guy uh, in Kenya called Uhuru Kenyatta. And for those of you who don't know who that is, which is probably most people, uh, he was president of Kenya. And he is wanted by the International Criminal Court for (laughs) basically fomenting civil unrest after the elections in Kenya which left about 1,300 people dead. Mm. So this, these are the kind of people that they work for, right? Is it not, not particularly... Mm, people who aren't particularly on the up and up yeah. uh, in, political, <laughs> in the political uh, that was a very that was, that was a very hip way of saying that. <laughs> Thank you. I'm a hip, hip kid. On the up and up. Um, can we talk about kind of the, the history of Cambridge Analytica? Yeah, sure. Sure. So... I have a lot more examples of like things they've done, but let's talk about the history of them. Yeah, I I think this is it's a very interesting story. Cambridge Analytica has not always been named Cambridge Analytica. It was founded originally in 2014. Mm -hmm. It's called SCL Group. Don't know what SCL stands for, but that was the name of it. Um, Super Califragia 
listed, listed. XBL versions. <laughs> so it was called SCL Group. And back in 2014 is when they were mining Facebook for data. And this is a method of aggregating data that they had pioneered, this psychographic mapping. It was unheard of uh, before they brought it out. And originally they were uh, basically mocked uh, within Republican circles. That, those were the people they that they were. They were mocked. Okay. They were, yeah. People thought that it was it was junk science, essentially. Well, I know that like the Obama campaign, I think, was the first political campaign to like really start using like data mining. It was it was new. Yeah, I mean it's it was a new about like a decade ago. And in twenty fourteen it was still very new. So ways that they were trying to implement it were I think were still seen with some suspicion. Mm-hmm. And the fact that when they would go head to head with other data analytics companies that they weren't mapping things as well as other firms. Okay. I don't know the science behind it's a it's literally a science. There are people who are data scientists. Yeah, no, no. Um, it's it's all about graphing and charting the just trends. people's interests and in things yeah just any any data that you give out about yourself can be used to try to compartmentalize you and figure out how to best sell you something but essentially this method of psychographic mapping was sort of laughed out of republican circles who they were trying to sell themselves to mm-hmm. uh, but in 2015 robert mercer shows up and tries Literally, to revitalize Hmm? Who's Robert Mercer? Big donor for Republican candidates, uh, okay. conservative businessman. He's just that's just a new character, that in the story. Character, it's real people. Dude. I know it's real, but I'm these saying. are real people, real events. <laughs> like uh, like the Koch brothers are usually thrown out as being yeah. like these big Republican donors. Robert Mercer is another one of these kinds of business interest types. Okay. Uh, and he throws $15 million into the company to basically revitalize it. And they go through a big rebranding campaign. So they change the name from SCL Group to Cambridge Analytica. It's much more posh. And... It is. That, that's, that was actually a big part of the rebranding. Theory. Acronyms are so out for tech companies. Yeah. And the idea is that the rebranding campaign has kind of worked to give them this air of uh, mystery and essentially to go around producing the image of themselves as being these guys who can aggregate this data and produce incredibly accurate pictures of uh, the electorate. Yeah, like Sherlock Holmesing it, like, Basically, like, oh, yeah. you've got this little thing here, and that means that you do this, and blah, 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 and whatever, yeah. Exactly. And what they're able to do with the data that they collected pre the Cambridge Analytica rebrand, back when they were SCL group, is they're able to produce these profiles, these psycho graphic maps of is the it, electorate. Is it important to mention in 2015, Facebook actually started to crack down on how much data companies could take from users? Yeah. But it was like, it's irrelevant. Like the it's, companies have all the data already, like a lot of it already from pre-2015. Here's the thing. Cambridge Analytica as SCL group back in 2014 had already mined all this information. Yeah. And it was partly in response to these kinds of data mining operations that Facebook really cracks down on the security. Yeah. But yeah, that bell has already late. been rung. You yeah. can't unring it. It doesn't matter at that point. They already have it. Yeah. The way that SCL had gotten the information that they had, all of the data, was they had a Cambridge scholar, guy named Alexander Kogan, had put out a quiz on Facebook. Yeah. Everybody, everybody's seen these kind of Facebook quizzes where you go in and be like, what, what member Hogwarts? of Hogwarts are you? Or yeah. things like that. Which Dorito are you? Which, which Dorito? I'm Cool Ranch, apparently. I'm Cooler Ranch. <laughs> but both flavors are canon. <laughs> <laughs> Both flavors are canon. I'm the... Uh, no, never mind. <laughs> I was going to make a dumb joke. Um, Dumber than the Doritos one? Surprisingly, yes. Um, and essentially what it was is that you can go on and take this quiz, and it would harvest data from your Facebook profile, because yeah. whenever you take one of these quizzes, you'll note that it will say, will you allow X company or X individual to access your profile information? That's what you're doing whenever you say yes to one of those, is that you're offering up all the data on your profile. Here's the thing, though. About 300,000 people took this quiz, which is a lot of people. That's already a lot of data. That one quiz. That one quiz. Yeah, these things are all over, yeah, social media. That's why there's so much data running running around all over the place. But here's the thing. It broke the rules in another way in that it not only affected the individual user's profile— but it also allowed them to access the data of every friend they had. That's right, yeah. So that, that used to be a thing. Being, 
I yeah. do remember that where, yeah, it would, it would be on there. Like, do you allow us to look at your friends and stuff? Yes. And you'd be like, yeah, sh- like, yeah. Like, so other people could give away your data. Exactly. Yeah. It went from being 300,000 people to being over 50 million data profi- profiles that they had. That they had, yeah. I believe that, that means that 50 million of the American, or well, basically the worldwide electorate mm-hmm. uh, that they had information on. That is a huge sample size. From that you, can, single... you can do whatever you need with that. Yeah. That's... <laughs> um, but the way that Cambridge Analytica, at this time SEL group, mm-hmm. broke the Facebook rules the, the rules of Facebook, the Facebook commandments, was that Alexander Kogan, who was not a member of Cambridge Analytica, wasn't mm-hmm. associated with them, aside from the fact that he willingly gave this information to them mm-hmm. as essentially a front. Then Cambridge Analytica used that information. The problem is that you cannot, once you gain that data as the maker of a quiz or one of these sort of data mining operations, yeah. cannot give it to a third party. The idea mm-hmm. being that when you are clicking, yes, I'll allow this company or this person to access my data, you are giving explicit permission only to that person. Right. So it's very different if you say, Cambridge scholar Alexander Kogan wants your info. You're like, whatever, he's probably going to use science and stuff on it. Yeah. As opposed to, does SCL Group, data analytics company, do you want to give it to them? Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Are you telling me that they named themselves Cambridge Analytica so that they would sound like they were from the college? Aside from the fact that they knew a guy from Cambridge who acted as their front for gaining the data, they had no connection to Cambridge whatsoever. But but was it intentional? I, mean, I don't know yeah. if you know this. It was intentionally to mislead people to believe that they were... It was part of the rebrand were... to just make people think that they were smart British people. That's, <laughs> that's, a, that, that's why... Yes, that's it. That's so funny. Cambridge Analytica, the name, the fact that they hired Alexander Nix, a British guy, to be the CEO, yeah, yeah. was to make it to make them look smarter. Yeah. I mean... To make them look legitimate. But here's the thing. It, that's a legitimate, like, strategy. Yeah, there's nothing... You slap an English accent on it, and you think it suddenly it sounds very smart. I don't know about that accent. This one. <laughs> Hello, other professors. It is me, Dr. Anderson. Would you like to take my quiz? I have I have a quiz for you. I think your voice is better than mine. So, I mean, this... Suddenly, I sound awesome. <laughs> you sound much less smart with that voice. <laughs> as, as a side note, people are not making these quizzes like which which Disney princess's eyebrows are you? Because they think that wouldn't this be great fun? They're doing this. It's for so, cynical reasons. They're doing this so that you give them your information and access yes. to your profile. There's and a, ad- advertisers will produce this. Data mining companies yeah. will produce this. I mean, that that's who that's who want, makes these quizzes. There is a, um, there's an old saying that. It's if you if you are getting something for free, you are the product. Yeah, that's what Facebook is. I mean, that's how yeah. they make their money. You're not paying for Facebook. Like right. Facebook gets money by basically telling advertisers and these companies, look at all these people. You want to use our platform and talk to them because we have them all in one room. Yeah, and they're all putting out all kinds of personal information that you would love to get. Yeah, and we can beam whatever you want directly into their eyes. Which is <laughs> unprecedented because originally the idea was that if you're using something for free, you're allowing yourself to be given access to like advertisers. Mm -hmm. So like you go on Google and there's going to be like ads for things. And it might track what like websites you're going to to try and inform sort of the things that you're advertised. Or if you're Google, they might look at the content of your emails to figure out what to what to advertise. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm talking about like even like a decade ago, honestly. Yeah. No, I mean, but this stuff has developed now so every, fast, so quickly. Yeah. Everything is so interconnected. I mean, Google owns half of the internet, essentially, at yeah. this point. So that's why when you go onto your, you know, you go on Amazon, it's like, wow, this after, right after I got an email about like, do I want to go get tickets for Star Wars? Suddenly my Amazon is like advertising like movies and like costumes and things like that for Star Wars, you know? This whole thing has even gone beyond online because as as so many, like like you were bringing up the fact that Google own so many other companies yeah there are real world corporations that own so many companies that are starting to wake up to the fact that wait a minute guys we know what people buy from all of our all the companies we own we already have data on their buying and spent like on their spending habits and things that we can then take and turn around yeah you know for for whatever you want like it's just extra data that people are giving us just because 
Like, they have to tell us they're buying a car from us. Like, this is how it works. <laughs> Uh-oh, they bought something from us. Super secret. <laughs> no idea. They won't tell us what they bought. Don't so, show us the receipt. <laughs> interesting thing, though, because you're talking about, like, older, like, like, a decade ago or whatever. Yeah. Like, there are still old methods. Like, Google will allow companies to pay for space at the top of the search results. Right. And this is something yeah. that even Cambridge Analytica was doing for the, the Trump campaign. People so, don't actually know that. That yeah. the top results are not necessarily like the most related results they're just the ads that are related to the thing you looked up yeah the first like two things on the google search results don't even click on them those are those are advertisements those are commercials yeah Yeah. so here are some examples of ways that cambridge analytica used that which is like super simple old school digital advertising right so the three the three prong strategy they had was you can use that area to make a first impression on on a person who uses google so if you search for something like Trump-Iraq war, the, like because you want to find out what Trump thinks about the Iraq war, a link will pop up that says Hillary Clinton supported the Iraq war. Trump opposed it. So that'll be the first Google result. And you're like, well, that answers my question. Done. <laughs> a slightly stranger territory is that you can use that to shape somebody's opinion, and in particular, a negative opinion. So if you were to search on Google Hillary trade, it would come up to a link to a website called lyingcrookedhillary.com. I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. Cambridge Analytica in the sting says to the the mm-hmm. Channel 4 reporter, like, oh, yeah, we, we came up with that. Like, what is it? And he's pr- crooked Hillary. Crooked Hillary. Hillary. That's that's a really that wasn't me trying to do a British accent. <laughs> I was going to say that was that was weird. just me saying it, it. weird. It kind of came out weird. But yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a big thing that they were always trying to, you know. Push. Yeah, no, it's a marketing thing. Donald Trump has like cutesy nicknames for all of his opponents to try to, you know, whatever. Like when you think of Hillary, think that she is treasonous. When you think of Ted Cruz, think lying. Yeah, lying, lying. Little, little, little Marco. Marco. Little Marco, there you go. So when you think of him, think of how small how his is. penis diminutive. is. No. I'm se- Tiny Marco? Yeah. It's no, I know. His- okay. <laughs> you know, d- diminutive just means small. No, no, I know. I'm telling you the reason that he's named. I know. Okay. I remember that was what the whole hands thing was about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, modern political discourse. <laughs> what a time to be alive. So, and, and then also you can use like, you know, you can, you can try to push traffic. So like if you search, you know, various Trump things, like, the, you know, they just make sure that his website is the first thing to show up. So stuff like that. You can, they use old school methods also. Yeah. Oh, here's one more weird thing that can be done. Yeah, go I like, it. I like at this point, we're just like talking about like creepy online digital advertising methods i I mean like sort of general theme that That basically is the story is like isn't this strange the the new story is they did meet space illicit things but the thing everybody else is concerned about is like wait people are using my data from facebook yeah like really that's what everybody's getting upset about and i think a lot of people who want to push certain narratives are jumping on that and being like yep that's and that's why hillary lost and things like that you know it's like well, let's like, let's be let's be serious about the actual impact of this campaign. They spent about five million dollars worth of advertisements, uh, Cambridge Analytica, on the twenty sixteen election. It was about two billion dollars worth of ads total in the entire general. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's like a two percent of the actual advertising going on. Yeah, not even that's not even two percent. I'm not going to do the math. In it's my a head. it's a tiny fraction. Yeah. So Cambridge Analytica probably didn't have a huge impact. Outside of the fact that their ads were far more well-targeted and suited for their audience than, you know, a TV ad is going to be. From what I've read, I get the sense that they tend to overstate their own significance in the industry. Yeah, they're, they're lying about so much stuff and doing so much illicit stuff. I'm sure that they're lying about their own significance also to get work. But this is kind of the point of this entire show that we do is yeah. trying to predict future trends. Like, what, right. what do these weird things that happen online, what are they going to tell us about what, what will become commonplace in the future? Because there is no reason that everybody does not start doing this stuff. Exactly. Like, I don't see why you would not. This is, I mean, going back to like my advertising classes, so much of my advertising classes was talking about why everything that my professors learned about advertising was slowly becoming obsolete. Yeah. And like... The things that you're going to have to know in advertising in the future haven't happened yet, <laughs> yeah. like which is a really weird thing to learn in a class. It's, it's got to be entirely theoretical at that. Like, were your classes like just like trying to become very like theory based because it was like 
we don't have any like concrete stuff to teach you because it's all becoming obsolete. There, I mean, there was a lot of concrete stuff. Like there are certain things that are never going to go away, like how to craft a campaign, how to figure out who your target demographic is, how to chart data, find trends, stuff like that. Like those are those are all skills that are still relevant. Right. But the actual methods for how to do that and then push it back, like like to actually apply it, we're in new territory now. Yeah. And and this is the thing. So. Yeah, a good sort of summary of, of this whole thing that I heard is the issue is not necessarily that these giant third-party companies are taking data from people, and it's not necessarily the fact that large third-party companies are pushing a message to us using the internet. Those the, things have both been around for a really long time. Yeah, th- those are common things. The thing that is that should be troubling us is the fact that platforms like Facebook and and Twitter and stuff, like especially Facebook, that these companies have platforms that allow a company to get data, analyze it, craft a message, and push it back to those exact same people all like in one easy go like that. And the fact that it's so easy. Advertising, essentially. It is. And I mean, I got massive problems with Facebook. What's uh, the guy... um, the WhatsApp guy. WhatsApp isn't. It's a, a messaging application that Facebook bought. Yeah, yeah. That dude came out and was like, "Yeah, I know that uh, we're owned by Facebook, but delete your Facebook people. Like, yeah. Facebook is no good. It's creating a horrible precedent for how to behave." And that's a really weird part about all of this is the fact that this goes back to this like freedom of speech issue that shows up surprisingly often in all of these topics. Yeah, is the idea that people like like Mark Zuckerberg had to come out. And talk about this because this story, when this story came out, Facebook shot down. How much was it? It lost a huge. Facebook lost $50 billion in two days after this story came out. Delete your Facebook. Are you investing in Facebook? Don't invest. It's insane. Pull your stocks. Take a run on the Facebook. All the stories were like, well, you think you're having a bad day? Mark Zuckerberg lost 2% of all of his money today or something like that. He has so much money. You remember when uh, The Social Network came out, this movie about the founding of Facebook? Which basically was like, Mark Zuckerberg is the devil incarnate. <laughs> yeah, I love that they're like, let's make a movie about the achievements of Mark Zuckerberg, and he's the villain of his he's own movie. He's the villain of the movie. <laughs> yeah, the Winklevosses are like, the, the Winklevosses and Andrew Garfield's character are like the closest to being like, Heroes yeah, every, in the story. everybody else that is is like is a tragic you know person that just like got in the way of this monster yeah. but mark zuckerberg founder of facebook after that movie came out a bunch of like messages and things started coming out from him because people were like really interested in who he was now and like messages would come out who that are like awful individual i just saw he would just mock people like i can't believe people are giving me access to their data like why do they trust me he's like they think i'm trustworthy or something he's yeah. like they're all idiots and all this stuff like he was saying people who use facebook are like morons and whatever Sorry, going back to the, the free speech thing I was mentioning. He was right. We're all idiots. <laughs> Delete your Facebook. <laughs> I have not deleted my Facebook. David. I am a... We must become Luddites. Here's the thing. I don't want to get rid of social media yet. What? I want to severe... Like, I, I think we have to have some really serious conversations about... It's an important technology. It's like, massively You can't, important. like... You could get rid of Facebook, but I mean, you're, you have other social yeah. media... If you eliminate social media, there are entire economies and right. businesses that exist purely on social media. It's building an entire segment of the economy. Yeah, like like the world is inextricable from social media at this point. Can't don't delete your Facebook, guys. I, I mean, you can do what you want to do. Do what you want. Here's what I'm thing. saying is the it's point. More the point is that if like everybody deleted their Facebook, that would necessarily just like get rid of the problem. Yeah, that would not at all get rid of the problem. The right. problem is. I mean, you know, technology. I mean, you can complain about how Silicon do we deal Valley, with new technologies? But... Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So again, to get back to the free speech issue, is that the people who run Twitter, Facebook, all these social media platforms, their approach so far has been: we are a company providing a service, and we have no place getting involved with what people do with it. Right. And it's becoming increasingly apparent that that is not going to work. Life is going on here. And sure, like Twitter is a business. It's a platform. They can do what they want with it. But they also have to be held accountable for what they do with it. Exactly. There should be some kind of oversight or something for what's going on in these places. The UN declared, I think this was this month, that Facebook played a leading role in inciting genocide in Myanmar 
by the ultra-nationalist Buddhists, which are a thing also there. So there, there, I mean, there's stripes of every kind of person. There's incredibly violent <laughs> Buddhists. Yeah. So basically they decided that Facebook was, should be held responsible. I, I don't know to what degree the UN is going to hold Facebook accountable for this, but <laughs> the UN can't even hold like <laughs> tiny countries in the world accountable actual, for stuff. Yeah. yeah. But the point, but, but they were at least making a statement that Facebook was knowingly allowing the kind of hate speech that would incite a genocidal violence right. in the world. And they're like, should Facebook not be held accountable for allowing that to happen? And Facebook's yeah. response is, we're just trying to uphold free speech. People can do what they want to do. Right. And it's just this really messy area, which it comes to all this stuff, like advertising. Like, yeah. to what degree is it appropriate for a company to basically say, like, we know that people have no idea what is possible with yeah. their data that they're putting online. And to a certain degree, like, yeah, that's on us. That's on you as a user to know. But people being uneducated, that, that is just something that will always exist. Yeah. And here's the thing. It, it's unprecedented because these aren't things that exist in nature, right? Like the First yeah. Amendment, like the idea of you have free speech is something that in nature you have free speech. Sure. Essentially. Yeah. So... Me being in a room, me being in society, I have free speech to say things. But when you talk about things like social media, like Facebook, like WhatsApp, all these different means of communicating with other people, that isn't in nature anymore. That is someone is looking at what you're saying, approving of it, and then disseminating it to other people. Mm -hmm. Essentially, you're aiding in amplifying a voice. You're not just offering them a spot to say it. You're amplifying it. Sure. And at what point does that overstep? At what point is that more than just free speech? Essentially, what is that? At what point is it your amplifying speech? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You're you're selectively giving people. I mean, literally platform. a platform. Yeah. yeah. Another. I mean, and then there's the other aspect of this, which is not only who do you allow to talk or whatever, but also who do you allow entry to to a person's life? Because that's the thing. Like, yeah, like like I, I like what you're saying. Like, if you're out in nature, like if you talk. You are just speaking words out into the out into the air. Yeah. It's just vibrating off the oxygen molecules or whatever. When you are online on Facebook, like Facebook is the oxygen that you are speaking out into. Right. Facebook can determine what you experience, right. what you see. Like because as much as Facebook and all these people want to talk about we're just upholding free speech. It isn't passive. It's not. No, it's yeah. not. They are actively choosing what to show, what to allow through to you. Right. And what not to. And it's based on who's willing to pay for it. Right. And I, that's kind of like where this whole thing comes full circle, which is how how much do we as a society want to accept the fact that if you have a lot of money, you can literally control the world that people experience. experience. I mean, that's a very vague way of putting it, but you control what people see. And there's no reason that things like that have to be limited that way. It's right. not like you put up a billboard and somebody lives by it or something. It's it's more like somebody comes to your house, knocks on your door and says, look at this billboard that I've put in front of your face, you know? But the other interesting thing is that people don't know there's an alternative. Right. Like just because you're seeing something, our brains believe that that is a full story. And our inquisitive nature is satiated after a certain degree. And that's why first impression is so important. That's why. Headline. I mean, that's the idea behind headlines anyway. Yeah. Like Upworthy, which I think it's not really relevant anymore. That's kind of past. But the idea of Upworthy being like using headlines to entice people yeah. and almost give them a warped sense of what the content even is. Yeah. I don't know how many people share stories. Like, you know, you read a headline. It's a good headline. You feel like that's that's enough of the story for you. Like you yeah. are you are full. I have a statement. There's a statement here. That's good. It yeah. agrees with me or disagrees with me or aids, you know, a certain point I'm making. Okay. So Cambridge Analytica says, you know that they were effective. And again, like we don't, we don't actually know how effective they were in the campaign. It's incredibly hard to determine. But their claim is that you know that they were effective because Donald Trump lost the popular vote, but he won the electoral vote. And they're saying the reason that that happened, and it happened really, if you look at the numbers, like it barely happened. Yeah. And they're saying that that was because it was extremely focused based on the data and the strategies that they were able to provide, which... I forget the number that they quote to... 
the sting guy like, they they it was a tiny number they were like, like it's small. based on three thousand targeted votes i was like i don't know how possible that is it was targeted it's surprisingly like small yeah like yeah. the margin for error was very slight exactly yeah here's the thing like like we said I don't know how reliable the word of Cambridge Analytica is. In court, there's a sort of thing where you don't allow in hearsay, i.e. the quotations of individuals, for unless under certain circumstances. And one of the circumstances is it's a statement against their interest. Like, okay. they're not going to say that they murdered somebody unless they, they, they might have actually done it, you know? So that's a reason why we might let in that sort of statement yeah. into court. So... We might not be able to believe statements where they're aggrandizing themselves, but we might be able to believe statements where they're saying, we did this illicit thing, and we might be able to do it for you if you pay yeah. us, you know? <laughs> so. What, I have one last example of creepy online advertising. Can I okay. talk about? I, and here's the thing. Folks, call in with your own creepy <laughs> advertising examples. Leave a five-star review. Actually, we don't have. Rate, a, uh, rate us five stars on iTunes. Leave a comment. And, Why, and what was creepy about the internet today? <laughs> All right, last one. This is something that Cambridge Analytica also did. So there is something called native advertising. Have you heard about this? Yes. So native advertising is where you write an ad and design it to look like a news article. Right. It is an advertisement, but it is indistinguishable it's in every other way. one of the most insidious way. forms of advertising. Yeah. It, it's just like there's no reason why you can't make it look like an article, so just do it. And ideally... I, there will be something somewhere, some little thing that says this is a sponsored content or something like that. But if you miss it or don't fully like or even like realize what that means, there's no reason to believe that you're not reading just a piece of journalism. Yeah. And the, and here's the thing. Native advertising isn't just like on the side of you're reading some website and it says like physical trainers hate this guy. And it's like a photo no. of some like super ripped dude. Like, and it's like obviously an ad, like yeah. those things you can pick up, but like native advertising can be on your Facebook feed and you might not yeah. even look at sort of the website or the news outlet quotes around news, 50,000 parentheses, because you're just like, Oh, that seems like an interesting headline. Well, here's the thing is it can show up. Like they ran a really successful one on Politico. Like Politico is a respected. That's an actual news. That's an actual news source. It's not, like a pro-Trump news source, but they were able to run, they just bought ad space for Politico and ran article style. Yeah. These these commercials for Donald Trump. Really, they were against Hillary Clinton. They thought that Hillary Clinton voters would be more likely to read Politico. Therefore, they wanted anti-Hillary Clinton material on the website to confuse people. I thought you were going to say that people would probably resonate with anti-Hillary Clinton more than pro-Trump. I was like, that's true. (laughs) I mean, maybe. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, no, I mean, that's a viable strategy also. There is a lot of, confusing stuff here because like there's there's something coming there's got to be i mean there's a privacy crisis yeah here's what i sort of foresee and this cambridge analytica thing might be sort of the start of a trend towards this yeah you're going to have to start making regulations on what the internet can do with its own consumers information Mm -hmm. i mean sort of the the example that i give is that companies will regulate products Mm -hmm. there's a certain amount of consumer responsibility that you need like once you buy the product you have to be responsible with the way that you use it yeah but companies are still regulated in how they can produce the product or there are ways that the company that the government can prevent uh consumers from being harmed by the free market essentially doing what it does right yeah. there needs to be some sort of internet version of that where consumers just because they're using internet shouldn't be made slaves to the technology essentially you're getting into a slightly metaphorical territory there i guess but like there, there's an even more direct relation to what already exists and that is the fact that like banks or like target or whoever are not allowed to just take like you give them your credit card information they're not allowed to sell your credit yeah they can't just give that to somebody yeah and sort of a lot of the outrage about cambridge analytica it's not just like well they made hillary lose or something like that it is a legitimate sort of outrage that this may not be illegal, but it should be, essentially. Put the horrible, like, like you know, like cigarette packages? Yeah, put, like- a, put an awful image of, I don't know, <laughs> Al- Alexander Nix on Facebook and be like, don't put anything on here or Alex Nix is going to... Yeah, there's a thing. I mean, Twitter has a, had a similar problem with Russian uh, bots. Yeah. Where, I mean, we we can do an entire episode about Well, about we, we plan to. We Twitter. plan to do an yeah. episode about all of the... The Russia the, the, bot stuff. That stuff is 
fascinating stuff. But yeah, Twitter. I mean, finally they had a they had a massive purge like a month or two ago. I forget. They cracked down on all of the bot accounts. They went around talking to all of the Twitter users and said, "Are you loyal to Stalin <laughs> or Trotsky?" <laughs> no, they cracked down on all the bot accounts that they could identify and deleted them. Oh, sorry for the audience. For, for those of you who don't know, a bot account is an automated account that are created in bulk that are designed to follow certain commands. They can boost a hashtag. They can like pages to make them more popular. Right. And like, you know, can I like gain them legitimacy or whatever? They can just like go out and like say, like repeat messages or like comment like on people's stuff and like get into like, like little conversations where right. they promote stuff and talk to people directly. Like all this, like, like they're fake people. Yeah. When you put something on Facebook and somebody will say, wow, that's really cool. Maybe watch this video and like, we'll put like a link to something on the internet. That's a bot, you know? Yeah. For example, David was talking about like Star Wars and he had a big Star Wars thread on his Facebook and there were like bots showing up every time he started one that was like, pay, you know, $5 for a copy of this bootleg Star Wars yeah. thing. And then we were like, okay. So these are just more sophisticated, like the Terminator. They they appear more human, but you can tell there's a little it's there's a little bit of an uncanny valley thing going on where you can tell they're not quite human. They got a little bit of that Terminator voice going on. I'm a cybernetic yeah. organism. Anyway, Twitter finally cracked down a bunch of these things, and a lot of people were very angry because they suddenly overnight <laughs> lost thousands of, of followers. followers. Yeah. And there was a belief that this was like a censorship thing. And th this is where this stuff gets in. Like, if you're going to police this kind of stuff, people are going to complain that it's censorship. People want it to be the Wild West. And increasingly, the internet is being tamed. And it is not nearly as fun. Lawman's coming into town. Like, and he's putting those rowdy boys. <laughs> it's a, it's complicated. Jail. It's complicated. It's difficult. It requires a lot more thought and concentration to figure out how to run a lawful town than it is to run around yelling first and whatever we used to do 10 years ago on the internet. If if we are in sort of the Wild West's history, mm -hmm. we are at the point where we're about to have Tombstone, essentially, in the coming, like, internet days, essentially, where, you know, it's going to be a big shootout. There's going to be a massive pushback. I mean, this stuff is inevitable, though. Like, yeah. the, the potential cost, and not only just for individuals, but, like, the internet is giving people so much power, like, like you know, tech companies, like you know, these Silicon Valley bros and whatever. Who, the like, new don't monopolies know what are have. on the internet, yeah, like they, Google, Facebook. These companies are the new sort of Standard Oil, essentially. They have so much power, and I think that it's probably going to take for somebody to get burned really badly. I, it might not be Mark Zuckerberg, but it might be. I mean, the fact that Facebook lost—I I want to emphasize this again. Lost fifty billion dollars in two days after the story broke. This is so sell crazy your shares, to me. sell your sh sell, sell, sell. Yeah, um, I mean it's it's bouncing back, but still, that's a massive drop off in such a short amount of time. We're gonna see. I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what will happen, but it's very interesting to look at, and it, it's just like fascinating stuff to talk about. The older I get, the more excited I am for the future because it's so much weirder than I thought it would be when I was a kid. Yeah, Asimov had no imagination whatsoever. No, like even Black Mirror, I think. Like, yeah, really undersells all the craziness. The future is going to be, I'm, I'm calling it now, the future is going to be insane. It's going to be madness. What's uh, what what like game has the tagline "Fear the Future"? Fear I think the that's future. I think that's Metro Twenty Thirty Three. I don't know. Which is like it's like a Russian thing. It's like everything got nuked and we live in the underground. And no, like... the future is going to be Second Life. <laughs> future the future is, is going to be people are going to become dolphins and whatever. And <laughs> it... I think dogs should vote. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be. It's just going to be madness. It's going to be, you're yeah. going to be so much freedom, but there's also going to be, I don't know. I, it, I won't get into the me speculating on bizarre things in the future, but it's going to be a wild time, everybody. Honestly, I actually think that something like Ready Player One is probably, yeah. I think that's why. That, that was actually, I didn't say it because yeah. I was like, I don't want to be advertising for <laughs> another <laughs> property, but Ready, Ready Player One is sort of what I was thinking. Yeah, I think that's why that story has captivated so many people in spite of the fact that the book is, spoiler alert, very poorly written. 
Hi, everybody. Welcome to David's Book Corner. <laughs> David's going to talk to you about Ready Player One. A it, book no, it's by some dude. First book he ever wrote. Uh, really, Cl- really. Ernest Klein. Ernest Klein's first book. Yeah. It really shows. I, I, I'm actually excited for. I, I'm going to start talking about movies now. Anyway, my point is, <laughs> it's going to be. Uh, I, I think. I think the reason that that book resonated with so many people is because it feels like the appropriate future for where yeah. we're at. It's so normal. Like, meet so space so. will be pretty uninteresting, but. Web space will be like this. Really yeah, online. Sorry, ridiculous. that's what I meant when I said people will become dolphins. I did not mean in reality. When David said Second Life, he legitimately meant the game Second I Life. I literally the meant the game video second game life. Second Life will be... <laughs> that will be the future of video gaming <laughs> and social media. Somehow, yeah, we're going to combine it all. Anyway. For everybody, all right, d- uh, little disclosure. Second Life is a multi MMORPG. Massive Some... multiplayer online role-playing game. There you go. And Second Life is one where it's like, you just are a person and you just talk to... It's basically just like it's a simulated social like media, essentially. It's a second it's like, It is a second life. life. Sorry, dude. But one where but you can be, be a like dolphin. a werewolf or like a, uh, car. a dolphin person or a tiny gremlin mayor. Or a boy. car. Uh, or a car or I'm a monstrous a pizza man. Like Anything you, you want. You think that you think the car from Ready Player One, the the DeLorean with the Ghostbuster logo and the <laughs> and the kid. You could be that car. Uh, you could be the car. That's why Ready Player One doesn't have enough imagination. That's right. They didn't make their main character <laughs> a car. This has been this, this has devolved into a, an extremely productive conversation. David, yeah, I'll let you have last word. Me. Hey there, it's David again with the last word. The episode is over, but you know the drill, it's time for some credits. As always, thanks to Something Unreal for his Windows XP remix you hear at the top of each episode, and a shout out to DJ Quads for his track, Downtown Funk, which we're listening to right now. To me, it sounds like what I expect future music to sound like, a freaky mishmash of the familiar with the bizarre, and a little bit of yearning, a little bit of heartbreak, right here at the end.